across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, one of the few places where no one is attempting to rewrite history or stop the democratic process of leaving the European Union. That's right, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham remains as democratic as it ever has been. This morning we learned that the Speaker of the House, John Burko, is throwing down the gauntlet to Boris Johnson and the government once more over a no-deal Brexit. He's threatening to fight with every breath, he says, to stop Parliament being bypassed or ignored in the lead-up to October 31st. Don't mess with me is effectively John Burko's message. Well, hello, John. Uh, you aren't actually elected uh, to carry out the will of whatever goes on between your ears. You are, in fact, doing a job which is meant to be neutral. You're doing a job which is meant to protect Parliament. And you're doing a job which actually should ensure that Parliament does its job. And guess what? You're not doing that. He's joined in his crusade by former Chancellor Philip Hammond, who's making dark warnings about unelected people pulling the strings of government. Uh, if it wasn't so tragic, it would actually be funny. Spreadsheet Phil obviously hasn't studied how things work in the European Commission, but he clearly needs to reassess his priorities. What does he mean? People who weren't elected actually making decisions on people's behalf to say that we should not be leaving the European Union, like Lord Adonis, like Spreadsheet Phil, like Jeremy Hunt. Give me a small break. We'll be talking to Brexit Party MEP Martin Daubney about the latest Romaniac plan to derail democracy. We knew this was going to happen. Don't worry, we're prepared. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be asking why rail companies are continuing to swindle their own customers by pricing them out of their own trains. Rail fares have risen by twice the amount incomes have in the last 10 years, and they're going up another 2.8% very, very shortly. We'll get the latest from the increasingly violent standoff at Hong Kong Airport as well, and we'll be tracking Greta Thunderbird's polluting trip across the Atlantic. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, the front page of The Times this morning, number 10 risks betrayal of the UK, warns Hammond. I mean, are you seriously having a laugh here? The only betrayal of the UK that's going on is the one uh, which is currently being done by the parliamentarians of this country, the people who have rejected three times Theresa May's withdrawal agreement. I don't blame them for that, but voted through nothing at all other than a delaying tactic, uh, a reason for not leaving without a deal, uh, a reason for not proroguing Parliament, a reason for frustrating anyone in the Tory party who wants to try and organise leaving the European Union. Let's talk to Martin Daubney, uh, recently elected Brexit Party MEP, of course, for the West Midlands. Uh, a man who's learning, even as we speak, what the European Commission and the European Union is really like. Martin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Michael. It's always a pleasure to hear such an exuberant <laughs> and enthusiastic Brexiteer. Well, do you know what I mean? Day. I mean, you know, I didn't even start out particularly enthusiastic, but the more that these yeah. people try and frustrate the process, the more enthusiastically I support it. You know, it's absolutely unbelievable what the likes of Philip Hammond are coming out with, John Burko talking about frustrating um, the, the Brexiteers, effectively frustrating the will of the people. Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing here is in Brexit's darkest hour, if you like, mm. you're shining a true light on the inner machinations of the governmental machine, uh, which is uniting in its full fury to, to delay and block Brexit. And this is the truth. We have a situation now where people like Hammond and especially people like Burko uh, do not see themselves as our servants, but instead as our masters. And I find it particularly galling um, that 
that spreadsheet Phil refers to the fact that nobody voted for a no deal when, you know, um, David Cameron was on television repeatedly and the government's own white paper stated with absolute clarity that if we could not achieve a deal, we would go to a WTO Brexit. That's the definition of a no deal Brexit. It was there as plain as, as the nose on his face. Yet, of course, he's, cho- he's choosing to ignore that because it doesn't fit the script now. And as far as the so-called politically neutral speaker stepping into the fray, I mean, anybody surprised about this? No. I mean, I'm not remotely surprised about this. This was always going to happen. I think we can see more of this. You know, Gina Miller has been suspiciously quiet. David Lamb has been suspiciously quiet. Yvette Cooper, you know, Sir John Major, D- Tony Blair, Nick Clegg, the whole catalogue of political corpses will soon, I'm sure, bob to the surface and start to interfere because they will not let this go down without a fight. And we've seen the Boris bounce, I think, starting to to falter. Yesterday we saw the Brexit party 1% back up to 16% because I think people are starting to see, you know, we have the might of the machine against Boris. And if Boris is talking all the right talk, he's making all the right noises, Brexiteers. You know, nobody will be happier than myself if I'm redundant on Halloween. You know, I have a job... I don't want, but we are starting to see uh, the wheels coming off of this bandwagon because his own party, the government's own speaker, and a coalition of, of unholy alliances with those on the left, now the Joe Swintons, will all no doubt sweep in through their very best to, to take this off the rails. And that's why I think the Brexit party is, is needed more than ever. And people have been saying to us, you stand aside as if, the Conservatives have an entitlement to every Brexit vote, which, of course, they do not. No, there are five million Labour voters who voted to leave the European Union. And one thing that I just would like to make really clear, and you're, you're right to say that I've been witnessing the inner machinations of the European Union, what we're seeing with Europe now is not what we saw with Europe in 2016. With, with Ursula von der Leyen, the new European um, Commission president, voted in, I watched her give her speech before she got her vote. And she was absolutely saying repeatedly, we need more Europe. We need more integration. We need more power over every nation state's laws from the European Court of Justice. We need a European army. Now, this is a woman who is intent on building a bigger and bigger and more integrated and more enthralling and all-encompassing Europe. That's not the Europe of 2016. Europe is trying to take, the EU is literally trying to take over Europe. And we, we must fight this. And our own parliamentarians are intent on preventing us from doing so. Well, I find it extraordinary. And I had one of these conversations yesterday with a, a trade expert about how unusual it is for Britain to be sort of putting their lot in with the United States of America because we have for mm. so long had lots of big ties with the European Union. But I pointed out that actually, you know, traditionally and historically, we have had greater ties with the United States yeah. of America. And it's only relatively recently that the federal state of Europe has kind of reached out its tentacles and, and pulled us closer ever in to make it more difficult for us to leave. But, I mean, okay. to me, it was personified by Jeremy Hunt's ridiculous... Uh, a final speech in the House of Commons where he asked for the European Union to join Britain in patrolling the Gulf so that we could stop tankers from being taken by Iranian, um, you know, revolutionary guards. And even the EU said, well, hang on a minute, we haven't got any ships. Why don't you go with the uh, the Fifth <laughs> Fleet, who've actually been there for quite a long time and have got quite a bit of firepower in the region, you know? Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Our trade future and our destiny... You know, we're called Little Englanders by, by Remainers, but the fact of the matter is 
the rest of the world is a hugely exciting opportunity for, for Britain post-Brexit and no bigger place than in Washington. And how encouraging is it? Yesterday and today, you know, we're hearing from, from America that we'd be the front of the line yeah. to do a deal compared to Barack Obama. You'd be at the back of the queue. Remember that? I do remember another, that. Yeah, absolutely another, right. Another interferer, you know, wheeled in to kind of try, try and derail Brexit before it even happened. So we need to lift our eyes to the horizon and look beyond Europe. You know, Europe is a failing project. Look at what's happening in Italy right now. You know, Salvini is surging ahead in the polls. Uh, the populist movement in Italy is rising because of the same reasons that caused it before when Angela Merkel threw open the borders. Italy is going through its own project now. And when we are mixing with Italians in the European Union, make no mistake, the rest of Italy is watching what Brexit party, the Brexit party is doing and what this means. You know, I see Brexit as the first domino to fall. Um, I think Italy will be the true insurgents moving forward once we're out. And I think that's the European Union's true fear. The reason they're being so punitive to Britain on the way out is because they know that we're the first and we won't be the last to leave. You know, I think the European Union is a failing project and we are the pioneers to, to get this dealt with and others will surely follow. Well, exactly right. And coming back to uh, what Philip Hammond's saying about the rather laughably unelected people who he yeah. claims are intent on wrecking any chance of a deal. Uh, well, it's funny how some of these people really, really believe in elections at some points, but really don't believe in uh, a votes at other points. For example, Philip Hammond has always been um, a Remainer. We can see from the, from the work that Boris Johnson's cabinet has already got through that Theresa May's people were literally treading water for three years. They were doing nothing. I mean, Boris, whatever yeah. you may say about whether or not he's under more pressure and he's facing difficulties, he's getting an awful lot done. And and the, the Remainers have had to kind of take a, a, a back step and, and watch Boris mm -hmm. taking uh, taking the initiative. And this is now where the fight back begins for them, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the unelected bureaucrats of the civil service, well, what a great job they've been doing for the last three years, yeah, right? I mean, right. And, and, and it's funny, if you, if you look on Twitter today, you know, number 10 is really turning its guns on, on Hammond, um, making it quite clear that they believe he's been attempting to derail Brexit and to stifle it, and he's talked Britain into, into a democratic cul-de-sac. And so I think we are seeing now the Johnson regime severing ties with Hammond, and I think he deserves that. Now, let's be absolutely honest. Now, this comes down to who is it truly in control. Now, Hammond wields the, the phrase unelected when it suits him. But if the people who are elected, the parliamentarians, don't or can't do this job, don't want to or can't do this job, then why does he have the right to blame people who aren't elected? The most important people in this entire process are, are, are members of the public who lend their votes. There is no entitlement a vote from any political party. The votes are lent and they are lent in goodwill and that goodwill entails you fulfilling your part of this agreement and treaty. Absolutely doing your right. Job and doing what you're told to do and they will not do that and, we, and that is why we must keep fighting. And what's your sense, uh, Martin, about what uh, an election will bring if, if indeed it comes and whether it comes before or after the actual um, uh, October the 31st deadline? Because I don't really think that Boris Johnson wants to fight against the Brexit party before October the 31st, but he may wish to have an election once we leave because he might then see you as a less kind of a worrisome foe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
it's mystic Meg territory here, but certainly uh, we, we had a Brexit party call yesterday and we are absolutely gearing up for an autumn election. Um, and we intend to fight in every seat if necessary. Right. Now, if, if a Brexit that we consider to be a Brexit, and not a reheated surrender treaty, you know, not Theresa May's deal with lipstick on, the pig with lipstick option, but a true Brexit, a WTO Brexit, if that's on the table and that's delivered, then, well, you know, that's a very different proposition to if something less palatable is offered up. But that is why... We must apply pressure all the way. And don't forget, this is not just a Conservative battle. In the heartlands of the UK, I'm standing as a parliamentary candidate in Ashfield, in Nottingham, where my mum's lived for 21 years. And these are Labour heartlands. We've got David Lammy out there today. The usual suspects on the left saying we must fight Brexit. Every time these people say this, it's another vote for the Brexit party in the Midlands and in the North because these are working-class communities that find it hard to hold their nose and vote Conservative. So the party, I think, will emerge as the true party of the working classes across those areas, and an election, I think, looks inevitable. Yes, I think, I think it does, but probably after rather than before, right? Well, let's see what, what's delivered. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of blue sea between now and the 31st. We can see, you know, even today, we're, we're in a significantly different place than we were yesterday with Burko and Hammond and all these people entering the fray. So I think we've got a long way to go. There are lots of stumbling blocks. There'll be lots of obstacles laid down before Boris from both sides, from all sides of the political arena in the run-up to the 31st. And all, all eyes are on Boris. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. And he's under a lot of pressure, but I think he wants to get it done, not least because maybe uh, it is a, a partially narcissistic project. You know, every prime minister that gets into power wants to be remembered for doing something good rather than yeah. uh, leaving like Theresa May did with absolutely no legacy whatsoever. And so I think he's driven, even if he is driven by his own ambition, at least he's driven, you know, and I think he really wants to make it happen. But what I find fascinating, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, these two pieces were circulating on Twitter. One very long read, I think it's called The Long Read in The Guardian, um, yeah. where they finally recognise, actually, that these people, these kind of FBPE types who are on Twitter, are actually yeah. suffering from chronic anxiety. Um, yeah. And they've, they're, they're kind of behaving as if they're, uh, they're suffering from some kind of psychological trauma, um, because <laughs> it's the middle classes who feel as if they've lost control of their own country. And, I mean, I find that yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and I find it, you know, quite sad. Um, obviously, I attract the the chagrin of, of a great number of... of <laughs> I've noticed, yeah, so do I. <laughs> and, you know, it used to be quite a nice sport to play with them now. However, I do think you know, we are going through a protracted death rattle of a sense of loss of power and entitlement. And that's what it is. Yeah. There's an entitlement amongst the privileged classes because let's not forget um, that on the whole, a vote to remain was a vote of the privileged, the better educated the wealthier. Now, the Leave vote was the working class vote and the older conservative votes. It wasn't just a working class vote, but really, across the board, we have people who are better educated, who feel um, more of a sense of urgency when control is ebbing away from them. They don't like the fact that their superior moral knowledge and viewpoint has been eroded by the great unwashed, you know, the, the proletariat. The voiceless were finally given a voice in June 2016, and they'd been silenced for too long. And they roared. They roared their defiance. And they are still not being listened to. But that desire to be heard will not ebb away, Mike. Yeah. It will not go away. It is real today. It's even more real 
that it was in June 2016, and we shall fight all the way. And I'm afraid if that means a few tantrums from the Romaniacs, well, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Well, exactly you? right. One final question for you, Martin. This is from Sharon, who's tweeted in. She's asking whether Martin's stance is on... What your stance is on shutting Parliament down for WTO, and does Nigel Farage agree with the Queen getting involved? Um, I'm not sure that you would mind whether that happens or not, would you? Well, I think we must be looking at every tool in the box at this stage. You know, if, if we are um, facing a foe who is prepared to do everything possible to defy Brexit, um, then why not look at every option to, to fight back? Yeah. I mean, for example, John Burko, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not customary to stand against him in a general election, but by God, Mike, I would love to see the Brexit bus rattling through Buckingham and, and putting it at Burko and sort of fighting, fighting back where he deserves it on his own doorstep. Yeah. I, I think we need to rule back ourselves. And if that means going down, you know, unorthodox and historically unprecedented routes, then I think we should not rule anything out. No, I think that's absolutely right. A lot of people will agree. Martin, thank you very much indeed. Martin Daubney there, Brexit Party MEP for the West Midlands, saying don't rule anything out, don't rule anything in. He doesn't know if there's going to be an election before October 31st, after October 31st. Everybody seems to think there is definitely going to be one. But what about the cheek of spreadsheet Phil, Philip Hammond, the former Chancellor, saying that he's worried that the government's being run by unelected officials? Really? Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk Radio, the home of common sense, listened to in great numbers and increasing numbers by many more people. And I'm going to say this without fear or favour because I've seen the pictures listened to by very many dogs as well. People have their dogs listening to Talk Radio because it's a very soothing uh, and comforting sound for them, particularly when I'm on. And I'm delighted to say Emma Hammett has returned. Emma, a very good uh, morning is still to you, isn't it? Absolutely. And to you too, I think. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> now, you were here, uh, what, a few weeks ago, uh, showing me basically how to be um, a defibrillation specialist because we talked about how defibrillators are all over the, the, the country now and in various different places, tube stations, train stations and all that. But at the end of the day, um, not a lot of people know precisely how to use them. No, absolutely. And they're so easy because they speak to you. And know where they are as well. Yes, and so we had a very good time in here, actually, learning how to um, uh, how to use them, how to follow the instructions. Um, you were quite stern with me at one point because you thought I wasn't taking it seriously enough, but I think I learned how to do it. Today, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that you've brought me a little sort of dog because we're going to talk about re reviving dogs. Because, let's face it, I mean, people who have dogs will at some point or other, no doubt, in, in the lifetime of the dog, have to deal with one or two emergency situations, right? Absolutely. I mean, we started through, we're a human, predominantly a human first aid company, mm. and we had a teenager who came and did one of our teenage courses. They went straight back from the teenage first aid, and they were at a, their cousin's party, and their pug um, scoffed the face off the um, birthday cake, oh, yeah. keeled over and died in oh, the middle God. of the party. Goodness. So Gus, 14, clear head, sorted out the pug, Euston, and brought him back to life wow. using human first aid techniques. Wow. So he actually brought him back from the dead, effectively, then? Well, he used choking techniques. Yeah. Uh, he hadn't 100% 
gone by then, right. but he was keeled over right. and very unwell. So he used human choking techniques mm. to bring Euston back. And I'm going to explain how to help a small dog and also how to help a bigger dog. Is if there a they big difference then in terms of what you do? Well, only in terms of size, you, yes. you would you would struggle, I think, to, to dangle Ziggy upside down. Yes, whereas... I would. He's very heavy. <laughs> in fact, he's on a diet, even as we speak, because he's been having too many treats. But, yeah, I mean, because, of course, the Heimlich manoeuvre has saved an awful lot of people's lives, um, you know, human-wise. Mm -hmm. And is, is it something similar to that? Yeah, what I'd like to say about that is the old abdominal thrusts or Heimlich manoeuvre... Um, you should always start with humans with back blows. Right. So we've all seen Mrs Doubtfire and stuff on telly yes. where they rush straight in. But actually, you can do damage doing that. Mm. So you should always start by, first of all, checking. So this is human first aid. Check if they can cough. Yeah. And if they can't cough, you need to help them quickly. You lean them forward, you support them on their chest, and you hit them firmly on the back. Okay. And that's first-line treatment. Mm. If that hasn't worked, and actually the majority of cases it will have helped and it will have worked, um, then you go on to the Heimlich manoeuvre. Because it's, it's often just something that's lodged in a, in a particular spot, and even if you can move it a slight amount initially, that can be a, a lifesaver, right? Absolutely. Well, you want to get to a point where actually there is air yeah. <laughs> going down yeah. into the lungs. Sure. So if it's completely blocked, be it a dog or a human, they will be quiet. Okay. They will be silent. Yeah. People assume that it's a, a noisy process, but actually if it's noisy, there's air still coming in and out. Yes. It's If either one of those is quiet, mm. you need to help. Right. And, and you haven't got a lot of time, I presume, either. Uh, no, not a huge amount of time. The faster you can help them, the less of a um, an emergency situation it is. Right. So who have we who have we got here then? Do you have a name for him? It's uh, very sweet. Looking, it, isn't it, it is a sort of beagly beagly dog. Beagly. Yeah. Beagly is quite a good name. Actually. <laughs> he can beagly. be beagly. Yeah. Um, so. And he's wearing a rather attractive sort of yellow vest. He's wearing. He's not from France, is he? <laughs> 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 Careful, it'd be quite aggressive. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah no, he's a very placid, helpful dog. Okay. So, so uh, on the back it says, uh, act fast, anti-choking trainer, actfastmed.com. Um, yeah, those are choking vests. I've got a big choking vest that I use for adult humans or adult big dogs. Right. And this is a junior choking vest that children on our human courses can learn how to help each other. Okay. It also happens to fit my so what dog. Is, so what does it do, the choking vest? I will is this, take so this you is for through practicing it. On, this right? is for you to practice. So okay. you will you will you will learn. Okay. All right. Okay. Well I'm, so, I'm very uh, I'm very willing to learn. Okay. So if your dog is choking, um, and they can choke on pretty much anything. Yeah. I mean they, they are scavengers, bless them. And they do eat a lot of rubbish. They do eat a know. lot of rubbish and most of the time it goes down and it comes out the other end right. and all's good. But if it gets stuck and it's blocking the airway, mm. then you know, they won't be able to breathe. Right. If it's a ball that they've caught, sometimes you can, oh, sorry, sometimes you can push on the side of their neck right. and you can actually get it out that way. If it's something that you can physically almost see. Almost yeah. see. Yeah. You know, a bit like, like a snake, if yeah. you imagine, right. but it's, it's gone down. Um, if you are able to get something obvious out. Now, pet lovers hate this, but human safety always takes priority. Yes. So, obviously, if you are injured, then you're not able to help them as well. Mm. So, human safety takes priority. Look after yourself. Please don't put your hand in a dog's mouth right. if it's likely to bite you. Okay. However, if you've got someone else who can help and hold their mouth open and you can reach in and grab something obvious, or if you have easy access to some forceps or tweezers yeah. and you can see something, uh -huh. you're not probing, you right. just grab it, 
then that would be great. Is it important to pull it out rather than to sort of shove it down, if you know what I mean? You I don't want to shove it down. OK. Yeah. Right. Um, so you're not sweeping around, and it's only if it's something really obvious that okay. you can see. So maybe a, a bag or something yeah. that you can just pull out. OK. In which case you do that. Right. If there's nothing obvious and the dog is most definitely choking, mm. then what you need to do is hold them upside down. So if it was a small one... So if I've got this dog here... I'm, you'd hold I'm, it, so I'm head down. turn him like that. No, 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 head down. Just literally, same oh, up, like but that. just head down. Yep. Oh, sorry. And I just turned upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to try to see, see yeah, you doing that with Ziggy. I know, no chance. If, so if like that. Got, if you've got a big dog, so yeah. like your lab... Yeah. Um, you can put them in like a wheelbarrow. Yes. So have their front feet on the ground. Yeah, and lift their and back legs up. And there's videos on our site that actually show with a with a big boxer. Okay. So it's a real dog that we're demonstrating on. Yeah. Boo, she's a darling. Um, so, so if you imagine that her front paws are there and you're literally yeah. just grasping the hind legs yes. and holding it, you're just letting gravity help. Yeah, okay. That's all you're doing. Nothing more exciting than that. Right. But it can. And will the dog be sort of flapping around at this point, or probably not, right? If they're, if they're not, able it depends to at what point you've got to them. Yeah, uh, they're usually quite grateful that yeah. you're doing something to help them because they're scared. Yeah, of just course. like any human choking would be. Yeah, all right. Right. If that hasn't helped, right. Your second so line simply just the uh, the act of holding sometimes yep. is enough. Yeah, upside down, little, just a, a bit of gravity, shaking, gentle, or not gentle, gentle. Let's not give it brain damage yeah. whilst we're not trying like that to save it. Like scene in uh, Men in Black, you know, where uh. he's trying to get him to say where the, where the thing is. You know. <laughs> okay. no, let's, let's not try and do any harm. So okay. literally, you know, see, sometimes that's all it takes. Okay. And then you can maybe see it and then you right. can remove it. Right. Right. Second line treatment, you're going to put your arm over the top. Over okay. the top here. No. So if you put... Hold on. If yeah, I, you can show me. Okay. What I want you to do is to put your hand underneath, yeah. make a fist okay. like that with one hand, put yeah. it under here like that, right. and with the other hand you're going to pull in and up like okay. a J. Okay, so that's sort of like the Heimlich. Like it is the Heimlich for dogs. Thing. So okay. one hand there, one like Make there. a fist like that. The other hand over the top, over oh. the top of your hand underneath. Oh, sorry. And somehow, by supporting, you're going to pull in and under. Okay, so so kind of... Let do me I, just hold I, him I, here. It okay. feels like he's... Yeah, okay. So no, you're it feels right. like, Okay, now, in and under. So hard, in and under, like that. Hard, but harder. Harder. So how yeah. is he... How is, how is he like that. So right. right down there, now pull in and hard. They're J-shaped movements. Oh, like that. There we Oi. go. Fantastic. Something came out of his mouth. No, I've it came him. out. Uh, yeah, well, it would have come out of his mouth, absolutely, yeah. in real life. So that's Brilliant. what your choking aid does. Great to... success. <laughs> I see. You know, it's good, though, that you show me, because it's, it's, it, once you've it's done it... It's a technique. Once you've it's done it, in yeah. in and up. Right. And it's the same on a human. Right. That in and up. And mm. if that hasn't helped, you're then going to go upside down and then go back to right. up to five of those, and you'd be ready to do CPR. Right. Do you know how to do we've just, CPR? We've just had a caller, I'm, I'm being told, that okay. was asking, is it the same for cats or is that a different thing altogether? It is the same for cats. Right. Um, cats uh, are obviously smaller. Yeah. But yes, the same situation and the same the same mechanism will okay. work for cats. All right. It's all so in have the a look at the video. Guidelines. So yeah. when the video comes out, it's being shot as we speak, you know, have a look at that and... and uh, this is this is all fascinating stuff, and I suppose as you're as you're doing that repeated sort of pumping in mm -hmm. and up, um, you can, you're feeling if there's something changing, right? Yeah, you, you can, can hear it. You can hear it mm -hmm. uh, if, in fact, it's it's working. Yeah, and uh, so so if it's not working, presumably by this stage you've you've spent quite a lot of time. Yeah, um, if someone can phone a vet and get additional advice, that's yeah. great as well. But you're not go you want to get a live sure. dog to the vet. If no, you of wait, then it's going to be too late. Right. So if they lose consciousness, you need to be ready to do CPR. Yeah, 
Okay. And you're going to teach me how to do that next time you come in. But I but have a big speaking, CPR mannequin. Yeah, but, but, so we'll do that the next time you come in. But, but just so that people know roughly, okay. um, can you explain it in a way that we can't actually show them, but, but you can tell them how to do it? It's mouth to snout. In fact, right. it's very, very similar to human CPR. And you've given me one of these, which I've is first aid a... for pets. Now, is this something... It's just a face shield. To, okay. Because you're obviously going to be breathing up their nose. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you are breathing up their nose and their nose has been sniffing up other dogs' bottoms, yes. you might... Yeah, well, you some know, people love kissing their dogs, and it's not an issue before, for them. Well, you know, before we all had dogs, you know, there, we did. There's lots of things we've done since then that we never thought we'd ever do. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you would worry too much if you were trying to save. You the life could use that on a human as well. Of the so dog, it, it will okay. work on a human. I mean, I think sometimes the dogs are nicer than the humans. So there we go. Yes, I'm sure they are actually. <laughs> well, listen, Emma, brilliant as ever. Um, I'm so glad I was able to make that work because yeah, um, I didn't even know that was going to happen. I didn't know there was something anything in there. But but tell everybody what your website is. Where they can get more info if they need it. Okay, so our website is um, www.firstaidforlife.org.uk or firstaidforpets.net for um, the pet stuff. And we have a whole load of free stuff. We've got a whole load of videos on cats yes. and dogs, but predominantly on dogs for the pet side and lots on humans. Okay, brilliant stuff. Emma, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Emma Hammett, CEO of First Aid for Life. Uh, we will put this video out uh, hopefully uh, before long, uh, in an hour or so, and you'll have a look and see how you can save your dog's life. Because it's very important. You don't want them to uh, to come to any harm if you can help it. And yeah. very much more pieces of useful information uh, on the website as well. Thanks very much indeed, Emma. We'll see you again soon. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there has never really been, in this country anyway, or even in Western Europe, or even in the Western world, if you want to call it that, um, a great deal of sort of, um, shall we say, affection for those people who seem to be married more times than they've had hot dinners. Anyone who gets married more than once or twice is generally looked upon um, as a bit of a bounder, I would say. But let's talk to Nadia Essex, a woman who's more in touch with these things than I am, because, of course, she is a dating expert. She knows all about uh, the trials and tribulations of people who marry the wrong person or get mixed up with the wrong person, have to leave them. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why people get married more than once. Let's find out what she makes of it. Nadia, very good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Now, happy I mean, birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you very much indeed. I mean, this is perhaps the longest running birthday I've had for quite a while. It's gone for about <laughs> a week and a half now, which is no bad thing, right? Um, now, what about this multiple marriages thing? See, I've thought for a very long time that it's quite old-fashioned now for me as an idea that you meet somebody when you're, say, 25, you settle down with them, you have a couple of kids with them, and then you stay with them for the rest of time until you both die. You know, it seems yeah. to me that that's a big expectation and it's a very long time in the world yeah. in which we now live. And, the, and I suppose in this day and age, when you, when everything's so disposable, yeah. then why wouldn't your spouse be disposable? If things aren't worth... Like, back in the day, you speak to your grandparents, for mm. example, they, divorce wasn't even an option, so they just worked at it. Yes. And some, now, and some people remained together in a very unhappy state, you know? Yeah, 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 which obviously isn't recommended, but... Ultimately, you know, it's hard work. It's not, marriage is, isn't easy and it's mi been made easier to just sort of get rid now. People are having divorce parties yeah. 
it's like a whole th- Clinton card now do a like congratulations you're free right and an awful there's an awful lot of women out there and I re- you read about them quite a lot um, who at the age of something like 45 or 50 suddenly decide that they want to be um, you know a new woman the kids are grown up they decide that for whatever reason to separate from their spouse and they rediscover a completely new world mm. my one of my clients is just turned 60 right. he got married for the second time last year but to the man who she thinks now, you know, is her soulmate. And she was married for 25 years beforehand. Right. So, you know, it's very, very difficult to keep, you know, 25 years is good going. Well, I think it is. And do you think also it has something to do with, you know, when all of this was kind of set up, when people married for, for life, we all didn't live quite as long as we do now. But, I mean, you, you now, you've now got people living quite healthy, happy lives and <laughs> quite active lives until they're about 75, 80. Yeah, totally. And it is difficult because, I mean, gosh, if I spend too much time with anyone, I, I've had friends where their breathing starts to annoy me. Yeah, I mean, that's just after a long lunch. You go, no, yeah. definitely too, too much time with this person. Enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I totally get it. And also, weddings can be fun. So I do get, and, and they're, I think they're definitely more fun for women than they are for guys. Right. So multiple marriages, of course you're going to be happier because, um, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, because you're, ultimately, you're having a wedding. Yeah. What's interesting about this study, which was done, as I say, based originally uh, in Tanzania, in places where, uh, generally speaking, there's quite a few marriages uh, and swapping partners is quite frequently done as well. So it's a slightly different culture from what we're used to, but it's but it's been studied by some people from California. They're basically saying that multiple marriages sort of sap the energy of men but they they seem they seem to strengthen women because it gives them uh, you know a better feeling about themselves, better self esteem that they're still desirable. Also, yeah. it gives them more money, uh, more kind of stability. <laughs> so, so it's it's you know women are winning again here. I'm afraid. We're not winning again. <laughs> We're just win, hashtag winning full stop. And, yes. You know, there's, we don't get a lot of wins, so I think this is great. Personally, I think it's you know what? Why not celebrate women taking things into their own hands and going, okay, yeah, this is good. I mean, there's no doubt at all as well that still in the sort of um, in the scheme of things, it's still a very traditional kind of setup in most uh, weddings, isn't it? And most marriages where you still take the view that if you split up from the man that you should receive some form of compensation. I mean, I'm saying, presuming the children are out of the way, if you yeah. split up, you still, if you're a woman, are more than likely to expect some kind of payment or some kind of alimony. Well, I must say, Mariah Perry set the bar very high when she had, what was it, in, she got support from the billionaire for inconsideration. Yes. Because she split up for it or something like that. It mm. was like 12 million or something. Yeah. So, you know, if it's good enough for Mariah, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes. Well, I mean, look at um, um, Paul McCartney and uh, and his wife, who I think somebody worked out was uh, was only married to him for a very brief period of time, and she walked away with about twenty five million, uh, which was seen as a pretty good day's work. Right, and it does happen. So mm. you know, what, what's these people? As long as they're happy, you know, then who are we to judge? It's not for everyone, but happiness is the key. Yeah, but how do people view? say, for example, a man, or how would you view a man, for example, who had already been married? Would you see him as a potential husband, or would you say, well, yeah. if he's already been married and he's divorced, then maybe he's not very good at it? I think in this day and age, I really think that, that it doesn't, for me, it's nowhere near a deal-breaker, because uh, I I struggle to find people that haven't been married, if I'm honest. Really? Well, yeah, because people get married. I mean, I'm sort of 37, right. so 
a lot of people get married in their early 20s. Yes. And, you know, it, it hasn't worked out for whatever reason. And it, it's nothing to judge them by. Now, if I met somebody that was married maybe four times... Yes. ...then... Yes, definitely. Then you say, yeah, time. they're not really taking it seriously at all, are they? But yeah, I mean, absolutely. the other thing is, if you're if you're 37 and you meet, a, say, a 40 year old man who's never been married, you might be you might be sort alarm of bells. you might think hmm, that's a bit of a, a, a warning sign, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I do definitely think alarm bells. I do, um, and so that's what's crazy is that it's one of those things where it's like actually not being married for me rings more alarm bells than someone that has been married, just because that's that is how I think, well, why not? But then I haven't been married, so it's a double standard as well. Well, yeah, but, I mean, somehow a woman who hasn't been married is less... I don't think it... I th well, I, I can only talk to a man, obviously. I think a woman who hasn't been married is, is less of an oddity to me mm. uh, than a man who hasn't been married somehow. Really? Yeah. I don't know why that is. It's just the way I, I think, maybe. <laughs> well, it might be, you know, for example, men, you know, women are kind of expected to get married when they're younger. So if you don't mm -hmm. get married as a woman, you are considered to be quite a strong, independent looking individual. Somebody who's probably yeah. concentrated on a career, somebody who's probably decided not to have children at that particular point in time. And therefore, you would be kind of admired as an individual because you've you've broken the, uh, the, the, the norm. Whereas if you're a man, yeah. I would I would look at a man who's not been married and think, well, that's because nobody wants you. See, this is why I like you, Mike. You've got it. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> this is what it's all about, you know? Tracing stereotypes and turning it around. And absolutely, because most people think the, the other way around. Yeah. But actually, your way of thinking, you know, I, I completely agree. Yeah, which, of course, makes me one of those people who doesn't shout from the rooftops that I'm actually a feminist, you know? I can't stand men that do that, because I would never say I'm a feminist. But I am a great believer in equality and, and, the, yeah. and the, the fact that, you know, why should we treat each other any differently? Totally, absolutely, and it is—it is that, like you say, from sort of birth, women, even now, are sort of brainwashed into thinking marriage babies, marriage babies. I mean, I'm 37, and when I pick up the phone to my mum, she still goes, "So, have you met anybody nice? <laughs> when are you going to give me grandkids?" And I'm like, "Mum." Yeah, that's 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 unnecessary pressure. If you got a sister, you can pass that all over to. I wish it's me and three brothers. No, dear. So it's all on my head. So it's all on you, yeah. So have you got have you got one of those things in the back of your brain which is kind of unbeknownst to you, whirring away, saying, I've got to find a husband, I must look for one, I must, you know, do you have that sort of um, trigger, if you like? Definitely. But I'm versed in telling her to shut up because <laughs> it's nonsense. Right. And actually, you just got to live your life. Yeah. And be, like you say, be happy, and the happier you are, the more better people come into your life, and then you have a happier life. I mean, look at like Jennifer Aniston. She she doesn't have any children. She, you know, um, gets crucified for the fact that she doesn't have children. Yeah. But she seems she seems pretty happy. I mean, she's going through a divorce, but she just had a funeral with her ex husband for her dog. Yeah, they seem pretty happy. So you know, it, whatever works. She is a multi-millionaireess as well, which doesn't do any harm, I suppose, for that sort of thing. I know yeah. that people say, oh, yeah, but it doesn't buy you happiness. Well, it buys you a lot of very good places to go to be miserable, is what I always right? say to people. Sitting on a beach in Barbados being miserable yeah. is better than sitting in, you know, a, a dilapidated building with no heating, wondering how you're going to pay yeah. for your food next week. But I mean, I know people, I mean, this is going back a few years, but I know people, men and women both, who got to the age of about 29 and suddenly panicked and thought, mm -hmm. I have to get married. Mm -hmm. and, and, yep. and, and a couple of them that did that, it all worked out and everything was fine and they're still married. Uh, but a couple of them who did it, it didn't work out and, and then they wished they hadn't done it. 
Well, I say to my mum, I say, mum, you should be grateful that I didn't sort of jump into bed, jump forward with, you know, X, Y and Z and any old guy and now be a struggling single mum, which I potentially could have been. Yes. And the people that I know that I went to school with that did that are single and bless them, struggling. And if they, they love their children, they wouldn't change a thing. But if they had the opportunity to do their time again, they definitely say they would have waited. Yes. And I'm like, mum, listen, like, listen to these people. Don't, don't be one of the brainwashed. So you haven't got one of these kind of charts on the wall that says, you know, by the time you get to here, if you're not mm. married, you're going to have to do something else. Do, do, they, is, do they exist? And if they do, tell me so I can go and buy them. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you just have to take your chances, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's horrific. That's so depressing. But what can you do? I mean, you just have to do what's best for you and try not to let societal pressure mm. force you into making a snap judgment, which can be wrong. Yes. And you're very good at giving expert da dating advice to people as to what not to put up with from men and what yeah. not to take from them in terms of, you know, behaviour. So are you a hard task mistress, if I can say that word without being accused of sexism? Well, I think it's about communication yeah. and it's about setting boundaries. You know, the minute somebody starts to speak to you in a way that isn't appropriate, mm. you, you don't, you know, man or woman, you just, you don't have it. And, you know, it's about respect. And the best relationships I know are ones where they communicate and yes. they actually sit and they talk in the cold light of day about their feelings, men and women. Mm. And it works. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to be wary of people that start, you know, name calling and slut shaming and all that sort of stuff. Because yes. for me, once you go to that level with somebody that you're in a relationship with, the respect's gone, you can't bring it back. No, exactly right. So, I mean, without wishing to pry, you're not any closer to getting married uh, today than you were last time I spoke to you, are you? Not as yet, but you know what? I'm <laughs> Sally, Sally 20 past 12. Well, I'm going to film a podcast with Sally Morgan, the psychic. Oh, I'm yeah. hoping that she can let some insight into my, you know, future hubby. Where is he? Excellent. Well, I'll look forward to uh, to hearing about that when it happens. Nadia, thank you very much as ever. Nadia Essex, dating expert, uh, talking about the um, the rights and wrongs of uh, multiple marriages because so many more people now get married more than once. But this study says uh, multiple marriages are actually better for women than they are for men. Be very interested to hear your views on that. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us on. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio, at IROMG. Don't forget, there's a podcast going out today, as there is every day, uh, from us to you. Uh, it is the best of the show. Uh, it comes out around about 3 o'clock every afternoon. Uh, and uh, you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Spotify, Acast. It's out there. Uh, all you've got to do uh, is subscribe it, and it will download naturally to your phone every single day. This is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic. Public of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Cause we're going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Gee, I really love you. Marcus tweeted, he says, Of course, we're in benefit from multiple marriages. My wife got our car, our house, and she's married a millionaire. I still rent a flat. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> no, of course you're not. Paul says, the young lady talking about relationships sounds just like Susan from Exeter's daughter. Uh, Scott says, bang on, MG. Men over 40 uh, are looked upon as unable to get a woman. Uh, whereabouts the other way round uh, is completely normal. Let's talk to Malcolm from uh, Oxford who wants to talk about marriages. Hi, Malcolm. Hello, Mike. I doing? speak to you more than I do my missus. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not wise, I would say. <laughs> I mean, spend much more time with her than you do with me, otherwise it'll oh, go yeah. haywire. Um, Mike, have you ever been divorced? Oh, I have. 
yeah. Did you come of it, come out of it smiling financially? Um, well, to be honest, um, it's not a question of whether I was smiling financially. I, I had children to provide for, so I was right. quite happy to hand over an awful lot of money uh, yeah. to my ex-wife, who I have to say did wait until um, the, the financial agreement ran out before remarrying, uh, but she only waited a day. Literally, the next day, I'm not joking, the, the financial agreement's finished, she married this guy. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. if she'd married him before, she wouldn't have got as much money. Of course, of course, uh, the females uh, benefit more um, on multiple marriages. A friend of mine, I've been divorced, and yeah. it cost me a lot of money, right. but a friend of mine got uh, divorced three times, and his pension, it went from a very good pension yeah. to peanuts. Really? Yeah, because under the last Labour government, they brought in the pension share. Yes. So I mean, that's a, it's a nightmare. Mind you, I mean, if a man gets divorced more than once, I think you'd have to ask whether he's got his faculties entirely in the right place because you don't cool. want to go through it more than once, do you? I, no, certainly not. I've got a, I'm remarried and uh, I'm very happy. OK. Um, but my goodness me... Um, but don't you think it is... I mean, my point about all of this is that I think it's unreasonable, and I don't, I'm not being flippant here, I think it's unreasonable to expect people to spend their entire adult lives with each other if they get married at, say, 25... It's unreasonable to expect them to be married until the day they die, isn't it? Well, I was married 30 years. Right. Um, Blimey, that's a I, long time to be married before you get divorced. Yeah, yeah. Um, because over a period of that sort of time, you grow apart, you yeah. grow different interests, and, and in a lot of cases, it's the children that are keeping you together. Yes, that's true. You so know, once the children so, disappear, you don't yeah. stay together. Yeah. and right. uh, you, you tend to find then that um, you've got nothing really in common anymore. No. But then once the children have gone, uh, 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 moved away and grown up and all of that, you shouldn't have to give your ex-wife loads of money, should you? Well, you do. Well, you give her half the house, presumably. You, you, well, you, you, everything is uh, put together, and then it's um, including the pension and that, and then it's, uh, yeah. you know, 50-50. Right. Um, you know, and... Uh, well, that's the way it is. That's yes. why, you know, most, most men, if they've got any sense... Once they've been married once, if they get divorced, they don't. They get married again, but they don't do that again. No, I think that's right. Because we did a story not long ago, funnily enough, Malcolm, about how couples who don't marry uh, have no have no idea. Particularly the women, actually, it tends to be more uh, disadvantageous for the women. Um, they have very few rights if they didn't actually get married at all, which is strange, isn't it, in this day and age? Let's talk to Susan in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Oh, good afternoon, Michael. Good, good afternoon. afternoon. Good afternoon to everybody. Um, I was listening to the young lady. You see, all all your shows are brilliant because it's so interesting, the subjects you raise Thank on you. your shows. Yes, I like, I like them um, too. Well, I think you must put a lot of work into it, you know, to sort of p put it all together. But um, I thought the young lady was absolutely lovely. And um, she's, you know, she's 37 and, and mum asks her, oh, have you met anybody nice, mm. you know? Because uh, parents, I don't know... You, one day you'll get like that. You'll want to see grandchildren, won't you? Personally. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly. I haven't reached that okay. point yet. You know. I'm. I'm, right. I'm not. I don't want to be called granddad yet. Well, you will do later on. Okay, let's move on. So, um, but the young lady, it simply hasn't happened. You can meet a hundred men. I don't mean going to bed with them. You can meet a hundred men here, there, and everywhere, and it just doesn't work. No. It doesn't, you don't click. You've got to click. You have to click. To and happen. you have to know who the one is, don't you? Well, you, well, you know that. You just know it. Have you, you ever met the one? 
I did, but he went back to his own country, and it was a very war-torn country. Oh, dear. And, uh, How sad. Do you still miss him? Very, I do, actually. Yeah. It's awful. It was a long time ago. OK. But, um, anyway... Um, uh, do you think you'll so, ever get married, Susan? I'd like to sing. I, I love I love the idea of marriage because my parents were married till their 80s and it's only death that split them. Now, I must say it wasn't ideal at first. You know, Mum made hints that it was very difficult. Dad was rather mean with money. Uh-huh. and uh, But funnily enough, something happened to him to make him... He absolutely adored my mother later on. Yes. He wouldn't let the wind blow on her. Oh, no, and I've I got thought, great admiration for people who can, who can stay together like that. It's Sticky. lovely. Yeah, but if you if you split, it's it's nobody's fault. It's this, you know, as the gentleman said, you know, sometimes you you get married young and you can grow apart yes. and grow together. But you see, like for instance, my sister, lots of people got married in their twenties and they they loved each other yeah. and they had children. The children grew up and went, um, but then they suddenly sort of probably look. I mean, I think my sister's having a divorce now, but she we're so, we're so dysfunctional. She just says things like, "I'm going to move to the outskirts of Manchester." And I well, think, well, why are you doing that? Are you, well, why you can't, don't you tell you know, me? You've got rid of him. Yeah, I know. Well, you, sometimes you just can't help it, though. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes people have to make up their own minds. Susan, I've got to run because we've got to talk to Linda in Wolverhampton who wants to talk about etiquette uh, in the cinema. Linda, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello, Mike. Hey. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I love your show. It's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. you want to tell me about some etiquette problem you've come yes, across? Yes, I do. Um, about, oh, gosh, about five or six years ago... And my husband and I went to London for a lovely weekend mm. and I'd always wanted to see the mousetrap. You yes. know, the world-famous mousetrap. It's been running for about 500 years. Yeah. So we got tickets. And so uh, it was a Saturday night. And to my horror, the couple next to us were eating a full... Well, they bought in a full-scale Chinese takeaway. No way. I'm not... yet. Yeah, yes way. It was the... The carrier bag, it was a full meal for two. How did they even the get foil- it past the, uh, the, the the ushers? No idea. They had the containers, the foil containers, the Jeez, lids, the forks, the chopsticks, the lot. They stank the place. I was going to say, because it's not exactly something you can do sort of, you know, surreptitiously, is it? No way. Anyway, everybody sort of sat there politely chuntering mm. amongst <laughs> themselves. Right. And I and I remember my husband said, "Oh, one of the ushers will, you know, cotton on. They'll be chucked out in a minute." No, absolutely not. And they, do you know what they had? They had it was fried rice, yeah. prawn balls. And I remember saying to my husband, "Oh, they've got prawn balls," because I'm quite partial to them. Yeah. Myself. Well, you should have they asked had, them for some. Did they have any sweet and sour <laughs> sauce with them? <laughs> they certainly did. They had the sweet and sour. sauce. They had the lot, honestly. And I could barely concentrate on the play because I just had one eye on their four right. balls. It was horrendous. Did they have? Did they go all the way to the fortune cookies? I, I, I don't remember <laughs> the fortune cookies, but they were compl- they were easy. It was like they were having their evening meal, and they were munching away, and they were completely engrossed in the production in what was going yeah, on. Yeah, that's stage. amazing, isn't it? I've never heard it's- anything like that. Well, that's quite a remarkable story, Linda. Thank you for telling us, and thank you for calling, and thank you for listening, uh, and thank you to everybody for doing all of those things, because we are doing very well here at Talk Radio. This show is becoming more and more popular as every day passes, uh, thankfully. Across the UK, online, and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say.
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 